Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. In this episode, I'm interviewing together with my dad, Michael Stam, the COO of Estate Guru. Estate Guru is one of the most well-known real estate crowdfunding platforms in, Euro- in Europe. They have uh, opportunities for investment in several countries, as we'll get into during the episode. And they're one of the biggest platforms that we have, and also one of the oldest, actually. So this episode was quite long, and we really went in-depth into the whole process of investing in real estate through platforms, and specifically through Estate Guru. Uh, We really enjoyed it, and I think you'll find the information Michael was able to provide to be really interesting. So without further ado, let's get uh, straight into the conversation. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Mastermind.fm. So to start off, uh, please give us an introduction about yourself and the platform and what it does, a brief history of the platform. Uh, hello, everyone. So yeah, I'm Michael uh, from Tallinn, Estonia. So representing the state crew here. So I'm chief operating officer here at the state crew and part of, of the management team as well. So my role here at the state crew is like, yeah, to run the day-to-day operations, look over the existing markets, but also focus on the product development and IT development. So these are like the focus what I do on a day-to-day basis. But uh, State Guru, if you don't know, you're new to the State Guru, then we have actually grown uh, one of the biggest uh, and leading cross-border technology platforms for property-backed uh, SME loans in Europe. So what we do is uh, we bring together uh, potential borrowers or businessmen who want to have access to capital and bring them together with a pool of uh, investors from retail to institutionals who then invest into these uh, projects and uh, provide capital for these businesses. And we do it like cross-border in, in already now uh, operation in five different countries and more to come in next years. All right. Sounds great. So we'll take the role. Uh, there's my dad, Joseph, with, with us on the podcast as Hello. usual. And uh, as usual, he'll be taking the role of a beginner investor. So going through like the most frequent doubts that maybe a new investor would have. And that will help us more about a state guru. So over to yeah. my dad. Yeah. Happy to have you here as well. Hello, Mika. Nice to have you. Traditionally, people my age, I'm 65 years old, used to look into bonds, into equities, uh, into deposits with banks. Nowadays, the returns have fallen drastically in terms of uh, bank deposits. And uh, many of us are looking at alternatives. However, the first question that comes to mind is this. Why would a developer come to you to find cash, to raise cash, rather than go to a bank, uh, as you know, the tradition goes? Because the question is that, are you taking on developers who are refused by the banks? Yeah, so there are actually different cases. And uh, throughout the years, we actually see that we're more and more and becoming the brand where actually the developers are coming in the first place, even though they might, and, and then are getting actually loans from banks. So, and why is this? So where it all began actually was the uh, issue what happens after the last real estate crisis. So the banks got really strict rules. They still have this whole process, this way of doing the things. So we uh, started off the platform. We really focused this niche segment, uh, real estate developers, bridge loans, and some some cases also the business loans, but um, all backed by collateral. So what we can do differently is that, uh, for example, if you go to the bank at, at 
the moment, uh, you might even get the loan, or usually even you don't maybe get the loan. Or if you get the loan, uh, it takes like a lo- long time. It could take up two months, three months. And you do that, you go through a lot of bureaucracy. You need to fill all of paperwork, a lot of questions like standardized, I don't know, uh, 100 uh, boxes to fill and all that. Uh, and eventually, when you reach the end, you maybe get terms that are not good enough or not flexible enough for you as, as a businessman. But as you are a small or medium-sized business, you will actually like to flexibility and speed and, and, and get back access to capital quickly so you can start off your project or you even maybe have some workers already <laughs> waiting in a construction to start off but you can't pay because you're not getting access to the money so i think solving this gap is, is one of the things what we're able to do doing it quickly with uh, if you have all the documentation ready it could be in days but uh, even if you don't have it could be usually takes an average, I think, uh, one week to finalize the thing. So this is one value. Another thing is more flexible terms and without having any this kind of extra fees or hidden fees, what uh, usually you might have. And more and more we see that, uh, like, as we're building this community and then our, like, now 70,000 investors on the board, so who are actually interested in these kind of products, what our developers are doing. So we are kind of also becoming the a marketing channel or the added value service for them if you're using our products. So yeah, speed, flexibility, and maybe supported also the fact that today, like and now even even further with this COVID situation, that everything is put to localized. So if you're a businessman who who is, for example, a student businessman who would like to come to Spain, first of all, getting the bank account open there. <laughs> Impossible, basically. If, if you get then, how could you then get a loan if you don't have any history? So we see also that at the same time, all these fintechs, uh, Revoluts and uh, Moniz's transferwise, they are making a kind of global community. People are traveling without wanting to have a local access to local bank. They will have the money freely flowing. So same, we see the trend happening and something much will happen in, in, in kind of real estate investing and financing. It's and interesting maybe, that every time there is a problem, Yes. Um, some mm-hmm. kind of alternative solution, you know, <laughs> some alternative option mm-hmm. is, is invented or, or created. Yeah, very interesting. Um, looking at Estate Guru and uh, its website, I noticed that uh, you started in 2013, gave your first loan in 2014. Although 2014 is just, you know, six, seven years ago. Not a very long time, but for these P2P um, platforms, I think you are one of the oldest in the uh, in the Baltic states, actually. And you're quite, uh, you seem to be quite well established and you have reached um, quite a big milestone of exceeding 300 million in loans given. How yeah. do you explain this and uh, how robust is your organization? Yeah, you, you could say, yes, that we are today one of the oldest already in, in the market, uh, but uh, yeah, it has been a hard work of actually building this transparency, building this trust towards us. Uh, we have been pioneers in, in, in many fields, uh, maybe some of them we will discuss them today as well. But uh, so t- today, yeah, we have a quite solid base already. So we, we have uh, uh, over 50 people working for a state guru in different countries. So we are operationally, as, as maybe mentioned in the beginning, was already in, in five different countries. Uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Finland, Germany now actually started off uh, quite good uh, last year and we hope to actually eventually cover the whole Europe. And this means that step by step adding new countries. So 
and all this is supported yes by by really strong uh, team and and people whom whom we have on board. Okay, um, therefore your plans are, are quite big and uh, far-reaching in terms of uh, reach. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems people also notice that these peer-to-peer platforms are thriving um, in the Baltic states quite well. It seems that there is fertile fertile uh, ground there, and uh, sometimes people might wonder whether the regulation is tough enough in the Baltic states. The Baltic states um, are emerging countries like like Malta. I'm based in Malta. John is based in Barcelona. Actually, we form a bit of a triangle <laughs> where we are based. You are in Tallinn, Estonia. I'm in Malta, and John is in Barcelona, and Spain. Um, uh, Malta and uh, Estonia have been in the European Union uh, since 2004, uh, not very long ago. Therefore, in my opinion, still emerging countries doing quite well, English-speaking, very good in terms of finding people um, who are well-trained in uh, IT, etc. Therefore, the biggest question is, is... Uh, the situation in the Baltic states such that maybe uh, you are not regulated in a way that it might hinder you? Or is it a situation that up to now, the regulation might have been a little bit, you know, not lags, but not very tight. And maybe it will tighten up eventually. How do you see this? Well, yeah, talking about regulation, I think in this sense, like Estonia is part of uh, Europe and uh, European Union, so all that like, pan-European uh, regulations apply to us. And what I have seen, as I've been like working many years, uh, pan-European actually, and and also in banking uh, sector. So what, uh, for example, Estonia, usually what actually has done is even set up even stricter rules compared to the European ones. So looking about AML questions, other regulations, so and being like following all the rules, uh, like uh, even more precisely rather than, than looser. So I don't know, even for, for I don't know, tax wise or like uh, we are like, Putting all the necessary money to the keeping the, the government is keeping the this kind of um, its balances on the right order and not taking too much debt. Well, actually, Estonia is the lowest uh, governmental debt in Europe. So, so in this sense, yeah, I think we have been following good. But overall, what is interesting here, and you, you also mentioned that uh, fertile ground. So, what we are really benefiting at the moment in, in Estonia, Tallinn, is that. Uh, really the tech-driven country itself and uh, like the people and the companies we have here. So I think Estonia is what even now even the most unicorns in, in startup-wise uh, per capita in, in, in Europe or even the world. So we have latest was the pipe drive actually emerging and becoming unicorn before it was TransferWise uh, and uh, all these companies. So so there's a really tech-driven uh, economy and society here, which uh, has also maybe uh, laid ground for this kind of new alternative lending lending uh, platforms. So, but crowdfunding as such wasn't actually regulated by European till end of last year when the European Commission finally uh, agreed and uh, published a new pan-European regulation for crowdfunding. So it's now one year for the countries to implement. So actually from this November, first uh, 
licenses are starting to given out. So there, there is now actually pan-European uh, regulation for crowdfunding as, as well. But before that, there was uh, each of the countries could establish their own regulation, and, and many of the countries did so. So our principle as a company has been always been that uh, one step ahead, and uh, when we saw that the regulation is coming, so we already actually are regulated in, in uh, UK, we are also regulated in, in Lithuania, and uh, also in Finland. Uh, so these are the countries where their local regulation was was set up. So in these countries, we are uh, licensed and then following the local rules. So And I think through that process, we are almost ready for the pan-European regulation as well. So we just need to make a few adjustments and uh, changes, and we are then ready for the, the pan-European regulation as well. And this allows us to more easily actually scale and then move to the new countries. Well, I come across two different uh, schools of thought. There are people who say too much regulation, you know, it suffocates and chokes business. Others say um, uh, if things are regulated properly, this regulation makes them more credible. Therefore, with the uh, introduction of more regulation, do you think that uh, investors would feel more comfortable investing through you? I think we have a pro regulation. And that's why, like, uh, we were the going voluntarily being a, uh, regulating uh, where possible. We have seen also companies who are kind of trying to uh, avoid countries where the local re- regulation is applied and then only going to the countries where, uh, where they don't need to be regulating themselves. So, and what we have actually done is we have also through that, like, umbrella organization, we have been working towards the Kind of in Estonia, we worked uh, together with the fi- Minister of Finance to really give our own input to the pan-European regulation that uh, it is uh, developed in a way that uh, it also takes account the uh, business uh, need and all that. And I think that what, what is released, uh, this is good because it has extra layer and protection for the investor. So as we are working in uh, investment and uh, keeping or like facilitating the investment and keep facilitating the money movement, uh, then this is the area where people are trusting their money to somebody else. It's not something you buy buy something consumer, you buy something, you send it back if you don't like it. Uh, It's something you you really need to build the trust. Banks have done it for hundreds of years. So we just, as you said, started off uh, six years ago. The only way to actually additionally showing your performance and, and doing things correctly and being transparent this definitely adds extra layer and extra trust to the business. Actually, I picked up your credo from your website, and it goes like this. We always keep pushing for excellence, celebrating challenges and embracing setbacks as our credo. Therefore, what is your philosophy exactly? And therefore, this should represent what you have been saying, and is there more behind yeah. Uh, this? Yeah, like I said, we have been always... Uh, trying to stay one 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 step ahead. Uh, we were fir- one of the first ones to start auditing, one of the first ones to actually, I, I think the only one to be regulated in three different jurisdictions and uh, always trying to find how to be better and then pursuing the excellence. And even if having setbacks, I don't know, when our first, like this default loan emerged, what we then decided that, hey, let's be as transparent as possible. So we openly communicated, hey, now our first default emerged, uh, this is what we're going to do. 
And uh, based on this first example, we uh, soon started also release the portfolio overview of our defaulted portfolio and like full portfolio overview, what is happening with our portfolio, how we are doing credit decisions, all that. So, and we have been heavily investing into the processes of how to recover the debt and all that. So, yes, maybe we could say that something bad happened, but in loan business, it's usual to having it. It was just a matter of time when it happened. And when it happened, we really reacted strongly to that. So we really saw that this also as an opportunity to pursue next level of excellence. So yeah, this is something we really day-to-day follow and try to uh, do. Good. Obviously, in order to uh, go for excellence, you have to have a very dedicated staff, well-motivated, well-remunerated, so that uh, you have stability. And investors look at that as well, because who is behind the organization, who supports, is very important. I also noticed that, uh, as you said, you're, you're audited, you publish your financial statements. That's important. We'll come to that later. But you also ventured abroad, as uh, you highlighted earlier on. Therefore, uh, it's not only the Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia, but you also ventured Sweden, Finland, countries that are close to you, and then Germany, Spain, UK, Ireland, Portugal. It's quite far-reaching. Therefore, don't you think that you might be stretching yourself a bit too much? You know, uh, we are like a technology-backed company, so we can really do it in a really efficient and scalable way. And uh, yes, real estate as such is overall similar in all the countries with uh, local modification. So what we do when we enter the new countries is we do really extensive like pre-work before we go somewhere. We do find the best uh, partners there, uh, the legal support, the valuation support, what addition we need. Uh, then uh, we set up the legal structure, uh, uh, test out the first deal. If we see everything goes smoothly, then we, and once we decide that this is the next country where we open, we then set up the first initial team and organically start growing and not going like uh, crazy that hey let's invest like tens of millions and see what happens but it's it's like learning step by step and then improving on the way so and having the local best specialist also working for us so in combination of all that uh, i think uh, step by step covering whole europe is something achievable and uh, done correctly and done by wisely it is uh, achievable and and uh, really something to pursue because the value we create out of that is enormous for the borrowers but also for the investors so getting access to these kind of portfolios is is, will be quite unique well i also noticed that you are opening offices actually and uh, you are also investing in the website by making it in different languages and I think that's very good. You prepare yourselves well, you know, to, it's not uh, just uh, a crazy idea and you go to Portugal or Spain, but uh, you do prepare yourselves from what I see quite well. You also state that in 2010, 20 and 19, you had two very good years. Let's start with 2019 because your last financial statements that are published relate to 2019. I assume that you're still working on the 2010-20 financial statements. In 2019, you you stated that you had a very good year. Strangely enough, whereas I was expecting to see a profit, 
I noticed that you registered a loss. And when I analyzed the income statement, I noticed that the growth in the revenues was there. True. There was also a hefty increase in the, uh, in the administrative costs. Now, it can be uh, for various reasons. If it is just paying good salaries to keep your people there, not, not leaving, it's one thing. But investing in training, etc., etc., it's a different thing. But whoever looks at the financial statements will be struck by the accumulated losses of 635,000 euros. What are your comments on this? Yeah, actually, it's pretty simple. So we have been overall being like uh, really cost effective, looking how much of like external additional equity we have taken in this is really marginal. So we have been really self-funded and um, not like a traditional uh, startup in this sense, but uh, uh, we have then uh, over the years still taken in some additional uh, like strategical equity and uh, set up some kind of strategical uh, partnership. And, and in, in the beginning of 2019, it was uh, we partnered up with one of the European biggest fintech uh, venture capitalist companies called Speed Invest. And so they gave in with uh, 1 million equity money. And actually, the loss we made during that year, this was due to the fact that uh, we had then reserves uh, to really push and for aggressive growth. So what we did, we actually invested a lot into different areas. We invested into technology, we invested into hiring of new people and uh, expand the uh, team further. And uh, similarly, it was used to support these expansion plans. So all this investment actually worked out pretty well because beginning on 20, the first month, we already reached then again profitability as a company. Uh, then, yes, uh, COVID came. Uh, this made it a bit, again, difficult. But uh, again, the, even last year, we ended the year with uh, profitable months. Uh, so this is the reason behind it. So it was a strategic, let's say, strategic loss for the company uh, used to grow the business. Well, um, research and development, yes, um, most of the time it's expensed because you don't have any tangible proof that it will pay back. Uh, therefore, uh, companies can invest like, like you did and show them as expenses, but then obviously it will pay back. Also noticed a reserve of 700,000 euros in your financial statements. Uh, is that something mandatory through regulation or is it voluntary to make sure that you don't distribute more dividends than, than you should. What is the reason behind this reserve? Which gives comfort, let's put it that way, to, to investors, it gives comfort. Yeah. It's not mandatory. Uh, mandatory levels are much, much lower. But uh, again, this is for us to balance our uh, budgets. So again, we want to be feeling comfortable so that uh, we can easily adjust our business plans. We always kind of run three different business plans parallelly. So based on, on how we see the business evolving, we can launch different scenarios and, and triggers. So yeah, the reserve is to really, behind the company are really uh, experienced uh, uh, professionals from business-wise, but also of running different uh, big companies or big teams as well. So we're more of kind of business thinking, uh, not earning money, but uh, keeping reserves and then uh, making it a uh, sustainable business for a long term, uh, time to come. Good. Um, and just to make it clear to our listeners, therefore, when we're talking about the financial statements of a state guru, 
at least how I understand it, doesn't mean that if there is um, a default in one of the loans, that Estate Guru as a company would make good. And I think it's important to explain this point because if I invest and uh, the developer defaults and you try your best to recover the money, but you don't succeed. If I understand well, it would not be a question that I as an investor would have recourse on you, but having such reserves would give me peace of mind that um, your platform is there to stay and it's healthy and uh, you take care of it to make it last. Am I right? Yes, and uh, maybe just an additional comment is that uh, what we do is we facilitate the loans, meaning that uh, the concrete contract between the borrower and the lender or the investor uh, is signed between them. So if the loan goes to fault, then we as a company, we're not like balance sheet lenders ourselves. In this sense, it's between the investors. But uh, we as a company are still taking care of and helping the investors and represent the investors and try to recover the money for the investors. So we have a certain process in place for that and we have been exercising this for years now. So for us, the biggest risk is operational risk, meaning that uh, if we are not producing good quality loans uh, and if even if sometimes happens in loan business, it happens, and if you're not able to recover them correctly, then probably investors are, wouldn't be happy with the portfolio and then uh, choose uh, to walk away. So our main thing is to do these bits and pieces as good as possible. So to keep the trust and to keep, build, keep on building the good portfolios. Okay. Um, now let's come to the gist of, of the, the loans <laughs> themselves. Uh, first question uh, that comes to mind is um, the level of due diligence that you exercise on borrowers. This is crucial, and investors would like to know how thorough you are. Having such a spectacular growth in, in a relatively short period of time can mean success, yes, but there can be some doubts in the minds of some that maybe you were a bit too eager to lend. Therefore, what kind of due diligence do you exercise and uh, what expertise do you use in this? Yeah, I think this is something uh, that actually our uh, performance shows and it's everyone can check up. We actually, you can go to the web page uh, and download the whole portfolio and make your own analysis uh, of, of each loan and portfolio. So I think the numbers at the moment speak for us. So... And how we have achieved it is that uh, we have, uh, yes, we look through each loan. So our credit committee, independent credit committee, uh, is looking through each loan and giving a credit decision on, on, on them. Are we lending that uh, or not? And only once it goes to the, through the credit committee, it is published. And who is the credit committee? For that part, we have been also getting the best people there. So we have the uh, credit committee people who have been doing real estate financing them like business themselves. They know the business and they know, know uh, different markets. Uh, there are people who have been in bank doing kind of banking credit decisions. And there are people who have been like the valuators, knowing the understanding of liquidity of the collateral and all that. So combining uh, this knowledge with additional data, what we are actually gathering from different data sources, I think the level what we are not doing this is pretty good, but we're not still happy with like as we're getting more and more countries and uh, more deals and definitely the data part is becoming more important and this is something we are also 
investing at the moment so to to, to keep the quality in, in growing volumes as, as well and there uh, might be a little bit of a risk um, Michael, that um, the baltic states are relatively small countries malta is smaller we know each other here many people know each other therefore especially in the close circles um possibly it's the same with you now, when you look at moving to Spain, Germany, Portugal, Sweden, don't you think that this knowledge um, is a bit diluted and to cope with bigger countries and knowing uh, the, the developers would um, demand more more expertise and bigger fees on the company, on, on you, to make sure that uh, everything remains uh, solid? In this sense, yeah, even though the countries were like, let's say, Baltic countries are close by, then still each uh, country is uh, quite different in, in illustration, in, in kind of how you ca- can collect the money, for example. So this has been continuous learning for us as well. So I think the framework, uh, how we have now set up for the like blueprint, how we enter new countries, is, is already proven itself now operation in five countries, but we have done deals in even more countries. So I think it's quite solid. And uh, key here is actually, like I said previously, it's not such that we go into new country with our current knowledge. It's about actually uh, using the same experts from the local level as well. The country manager in the local level should be also kind of part of the risk team and being the first level of defense. And uh, we go with really like step by step and also in, in new countries where Actually, kind of, for example, when we, in current markets, we use only one external evaluator, the same approved by banks, but in new countries, we might even take a double check. So using parallelly two different evaluators and checking like this. So addition to our own knowledge and the local expert knowledge, we then use external partners as well to, uh, and legal partners to really build the build best uh, knowledge. And again, yes, uh, I think the biggest teacher for us will be the time. The earlier we can enter the markets and step-by-step learning the market, uh, this will be also the value for us in in years to come. Okay, let's say that I'm the accountant of a developer and uh, I would uh, get to know about you and I tell him, listen, my friend, um, I think I've got a brilliant idea. You want to develop this building, you are finding it difficult with the banks to get the money, there is the solution. Therefore, if I ask you a few bullet points, just as an indi- first indication as to whether he can qualify. First of all, the duration of the loan. What are we talking about? Um, one year, two years, three years, ten years? So, yeah, for uh, our uh, main product, it's uh, short term. So, we see the average length of actually contracts around 12 months. It depends on, on countries. So, 12 to 18 months is our sweet spot at the moment. So, so this is the usual timer, actually, when we talk about development loan, uh, this development is started and finished and sold, basically. Yeah, um, it depends on the country, as you said, because even to get permits, sometimes it takes um, quite some time, then you, know, you have to arrange all the details and find the contractors, etc. Um, second question, I would go to a bank, for example, and they would tell me uh, your execution risk is a bit high. Therefore, go. Try to find a, a lender for the initial phase. 
once you erect the building, for example, and I see it, and I know that there is no execution risk anymore, then uh, you can think of refinancing with us. Does that happen? And uh, what is the cost of doing that? Because obviously, with the bank, it can be, say, 6%. Uh, what about with you? And what kind of fees um, would he need to pay? Um, this is quite yeah. important. Yeah, we are being used. This is for the spritz lending. So you need to have uh, for a certain time uh, different type of uh, financing. And then you they usually, you, for example, go and refinance it. So it could be, for example, we have a cases where businessman is uh, going from one country to another, buy, a, buy something from there through auction, then, then to change a little bit the purpose of the building and then refinancing to the longer term uh, banking finance. Uh, or it could be also in, in like middle of the project that sometimes banks are not just telling, I'm not releasing the next credit line because you need to still finish something, then you go against this collateral and get your money off that. Or in the end, you have ready-made building you want to, I don't know, release equity against the apartments which are already ready to start a new project or to use somewhere else. So the usual price for that that we know and we see is around 8 to 12% depending on the country. So, but we see that... The, Overall, a little bit uh, reducing, maybe to 7 to 10% level uh, as we add more countries. But uh, I think this is still quite competitive overall. Do you think that uh, once COVID is behind us, hopefully soon, um, the rates would go down because of uh, a perceived reduction in risk? It's always, for our case at the moment, it's always kind of also demand and offer situation. So... It might go a little bit, uh, but still at the moment, retail basis is, is expecting certain levels of, of returns as well. So it depends on what is the level of that as well. We are not the only uh, ones of driving the final uh, interest rate for the projects. Okay. Therefore, let's assume my client has a project that is worth 10 million euros at this point. Therefore, the site and uh, all the plans in place, uh, some foundations, etc. What would be the maximum that he uh, can get in terms of loan from you? 60%, 70%? So the maximum what we do is 75% uh, loan to value. So that if the collateral is valued to 100,000, uh, then we maximum give it 75,000. But it might depend again of the loan product of the collateral, if it's a land, then, then we definitely do it a little bit differently. There might be some kind of country differences, uh, what we consider. And in, in new markets, we are avoiding certain projects as well, because which we see it is being more riskier. So, but uh, all the loans will be yeah, collateralized and then 75 is something where we are ready to go. And if it is a construction project, would you give the whole amount at the beginning or uh, in stages, because even the value of the site goes up, you know, the more the development takes place mm. and progresses. Yeah. Therefore, can it be in stages? Yes, we always look at the current value. Even if you think that in after uh, six months, the value is something higher, then we always take the current value. So if the current value uh, doesn't allow you to do the whole project, then we do it in stage-wise. So uh, we give you first stage uh, of current value up to 75%. Uh, then you kind of build it to the next level. Then you take a new valuation. Uh, and based on that, uh, we release a, a new loan. So this should be all recorded and combined into uh, logical steps. 
And the interest, I presume, would be payable on a monthly basis, right? By the borrower? There are yeah, different uh, schedule type, but you can maybe for us, the more common is to have this uh, bullet loans, which means that uh, the principal amount is paid in the end, but uh, interest is then on monthly, quarterly, or uh, this is the most usual case. But sometimes, which is more rare at the moment, but sometimes we're really liquid and uh, with a certain type of collaterals, we are also ready to give some full bullet, meaning that everything is paid in the end. But then we really want to be sure that uh, the collateral is something which is even uh, quick speed, is, is uh, something where we can recover the money. Okay, therefore, the last question from the borrower side. What are the fees that you would charge my client? So, yeah, our uh, fees uh, up to 4%, depending on, on loan and project and all that. So and it, That would be a one-time fee? One-time, yes. But it, it's also, we're kind of adjusting it. Sometimes it's also maybe a little bit lower uh, one first time, and then it's some uh, admin fee. So it, it depends, again, how it will be structured. Now I'm going to switch. I'm the accountant of an investor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Therefore, we have seen that uh, you perform the due diligence quite rigorously, as you are saying. You don't exceed a loan-to-value ratio of 75% maximum. More or less, we're talking about one year, two years duration which is, therefore, you can see on the horizon what more or less is, is coming up. Therefore, what is the minimum amount that my client can put into this loan? Uh, in your website, you say 50 euros, which I find a bit too low. Don't you think that this very, very small amount um, would encourage people to invest even though they don't have a clue, to put it bluntly, or they don't have the time or the will to go through all the paperwork to understand more what they're doing? So we really kind of want to come up with this uh, in investing. So as you mentioned, like in the beginning, that uh, what are the alternatives at the moment? For the investors so yes you can hold your money on deposits but uh, then you will be earning kind of zero uh, percent or you can go to the stock market yes maybe if you bought some tesla in the beginning of the last year you are thinking you are now a really big financial genius uh, but maybe you sold it on wrong time and then bought it on even like what we have seen historically even the biggest kind of companies investing into the markets, uh, what is the average, around 8 to 10 even maybe, or best years 20. So going into the real estate market yourself, yes, possible, but you need to have your big equity share yourself to get into that, and then you need to know, know some special knowledge. Bonds, possible, again, localized. So we really see that having this high-yield collateralized product is something which should be everyone's portfolio not full portfolio but uh, some part of the portfolio and uh, by starting the investment habit it should start as low as 50 euros so you can start learning the way of investing and we try to help you as much as possible to give you different hints and also different so test the system habits. let's put it yeah. that way yeah. but my client wants to invest more therefore <laughs> if he invests more do you give him some kind of privilege? Let's say he invests 100,000, 200,000. He wouldn't be, you know, a retail, a private individual, a company, for example. Do you accept companies and do you give some privilege? There are platforms that have the, this premium, what they call premium 
membership? So, in essence, we are treating all the investors equally. This is one principle what we follow, and this is also something which will come through this uh, pan-European regulation that you need to be transparent and uh, treat them equally. What might be is that uh, in some cases, kind of borrower says that in order to get my loan fulfilled, I'm ready to pay something extra if you invest bigger amount. But again, this is not, it's treated equal that everyone can, it's not telling that you especially are getting some extra. No, everyone can get it, but maybe you need to just put in bigger stake, but with bigger stake, you take a kind of maybe bigger risk, but yeah, okay. This is like arguable, like for somebody, the hundred euros is also proportionally quite big compared to someone who, who is 10,000, for example. So yes, in essence, we want to treat equally. So yeah, it doesn't matter. Are you with 50, 10,000 or you are also institutional because we already now have like cooperation with different institutions. One German bank has been investing with us already several years and, uh, but they are also together with uh, other retail investors investing. So this is this how it remains. And uh, are there any limitations that might bar my client from investing? For example, he might not have euros or he comes from outside the EU or he doesn't speak one of the languages that you have in your website. What restrictions uh, there might be? Or you are open to everyone, excluding maybe those countries that are blacklisted. What we do is, yes, there are still some restrictions. So what you need to have, you need to have a European bank account. Even though you might come from outside Europe, but you need to have the European bank account. So you need to transfer money in euros. So, but parallel, we anyway do our own checks for each individual. So you need to go through certain uh, AML, KSC process in order to get access. So follow the best practice of, of that area as well. So these are, I think, uh, yes, the biggest. Having a European bank account and uh, currently it's only possible to invest in euros. So you somehow need to be able to convert your money to euros. Therefore, in terms of know your client procedures that you have to undergo, if I understand well, the fact that I would have a SEPA bank account would mean to you that I've already been vetted. And uh, if it, this is so, what additional checks do you do in my case? Well, as you know, in MLGC, I can't <laughs> tell you exactly what kind of uh, all the specific things we're monitoring and checks because then we'll be giving away hints how to run past it. But uh, overall, yes, we are uh, doing this checks quite in a similar way of banks are doing. So you need to verify your personality, go through that. You need to verify your bank account. You need to be ready to explain uh, where are your origin of money. And parallel, you need to do some additional uh, questionnaires and fill some kind of service for the background checks. Therefore, 450 euros investment, because <laughs> this is the other side of it. If I invest 50 euros, I have to undergo all this, or is there a limit, or how does it work? Based on different criteria, there might come <laughs> different things what you need to do, so but, uh, I'm not going too detailed. So yeah, even for 50 euros, you might uh, do the whole, whole package. So, But okay. again, this is something which will also, as we're now already regulated and uh, will be even regulated by Pan-European soon, so this is the kind of today's financial environment where we are and we need to follow this rule in order to keep on doing the business. But what we want to do it is, again, as convenient as possible for, for the investors and for the borrowers as well. In terms of tax, this is an important element. 
tax on interest earned. Let's start with Estonia. And uh, I would like to know also whether if the investment or the project is, is not in Estonia or in the Baltic states, it's in Germany or in Spain or wherever, do you withhold any tax on the interest? Or you pay it gross and then if I'm in Malta, I will receive it gross in Malta and pay tax in Malta. Yeah, what we have done and what we follow is that as we have now also like invested from 99 different countries and uh, it wouldn't be operationally possible to follow all the specific tax rules. So what we have said is that uh, each investor is uh, obliged to take care of his or her own uh, taxing on a, based on the local rules. What we have done is we have tried to provide all the tools for the investors necessary to get the necessary information and even some countries, for example, in Estonia, even you can use the API solutions to send the tax information to the tax authority. So where it's possible, we even do these kind of additional services. But uh, overall, everyone needs to take care of their own tax payments. In terms of security now, obviously, <laughs> it's one of the main concerns of investors. Um, you state that you would have a, a first ranking pledge if I understand well yes would you take on a loan if there is another lender involved or you insist that you would be the only lenders therefore if there is a security like a pledge on the property it would be first ranking in favor of the investors uh, themselves so yes 96 percent of our uh, pledges are first rank this is where we prefer to be in some cases we might take a kind of second rank as well so but in these cases we uh, apply a little bit different rules it will be probably much much we need to like loan to values and all that when we do these are more rare cases and we really take account all the risk aspect so 96 percent of most of the cases are uh, first rank okay I'm reaching the end of my questioning, uh, quite a grilling. <laughs> okay, I have a situation where I have invested with you, and yes. uh, after three months, an emergency comes up and I would like to liquidate. Can I get out? Uh, do you offer a secondary market? Do Would you help me to find uh, a buyer of my chip, sort of, in the investment? So yes, we have a secondary market available. So how it works is that uh, if you want to actually exit before the end, this is not so necessary in our case, because as I said, uh, it's quite short term as a loans, but still things might change and you still want to exit earlier. So, so you can, you, then you go to the... You choose your loan, what you want to exit uh, earlier, you then publish it on secondary market and it works as a billboard. So somebody else needs to come there, look your offer and tell, okay, I like that claim uh, and then purchase it. Uh, then the claim purchase agreement is signed and uh, the claim moves from your portfolio to other investors' portfolio. And from your experience, would I stand to lose in order to find an alternative uh, investor that would take my stake? You can choose yourself. Are you selling it with discount? With discount, yes, definitely. You, you could uh, probably sell it quicker uh, or you can also add a little extra. What we have seen is that actually like discount versus added price, it's quite in a zero level. There's no big kind of... Uh, fluctuation so you can even what i can say then this means that you can also get out with the profit if, if now a big question 
You've been around since 2014, 300 million in loans. There must have been some defaults. As you said, once in a while, it's bound to happen. What is your default history? For now, it's like uh, business as usual. So we have a separate team working uh, uh, together with uh, local teams and together with local partners uh, solving these cases. So yes, our first defense is that we try to avoid these things, but uh, you could also avoid by not giving any loan at all, and then you have zero defaults. Uh, but we are ready to take a certain level of uh, risk and certain level of uh, default. So for us, which is kind of also the, let's say, market practice, we try to have it on a 5% level. And what it means is this 5% doesn't mean that now this is something which we're not getting back. The 5% level means that these are the projects which go to litigation. So we start the litigation process. And litigation process means that uh, you end the loan, basically, and, and start selling the collateral. So And currently, the, the latest portfolio number was 5.2, I think. So in a couple of days, the latest portfolio will be released, and we are basically giving the overview on monthly basis how the portfolio is performing. So it was 5.2, so means that from current outstanding portfolio, Let's say we have uh, now 120 million outstanding portfolio. Out of that, uh, 5% is in integration. And do you um, think that it was COVID-related or, or, or not? It's uh, even actually COVID. During last year, we were even able to reduce the default rate. So we started off the year around 5.9, I think, was the default rate. But we ended the year with uh, 5.2. So it was even reduced during the year. So we were able to recover each month some of the loans. So currently we have... Recovered uh, from total, we have recovered around 50% of the whole portfolio that has come to the litigation. So even the return after that has been around 8% with six months average what we are recovering loans. Yes, there might be some cases where we do it quicker and some cases where it takes uh, maybe a year or two even. But currently we haven't had any case where we haven't got back the full principle. So it might take time, but uh, we have been this far able to recover all the loans. And even with the interests. Okay. One last question from my side, Mikhail. It has been a very interesting discussion and I will pass back to Jean. One thing that annoys investors is that if there is a problem, a delay in interest payments, for example, or doubts as to whether there is going to be a recovery, they would want to contact the platform concerned and get immediate response, immediate and sincere response. How do you score on this? So we have different ways of communicating. What we do is uh, on day-to-day basis, we have this uh, loan update section where you can uh, log in and uh, look uh, each loan and see what is happening with this loan. So we try to, as soon as we have any information available, we publish it there and it is accessible for all the investors at the same time. But parallelly, if you still have some additional questions, then the info email is also available. But Overall, we would like to keep that uh, all the necessary information is available in loan updates, so then it's uh, most uh, accurate and uh, precise and most on-time information is coming up there. Thanks a lot from my side. All right. So, uh, well, actually, my dad asked most of the questions. Um, as an investor myself, one of the things, there are actually two main questions. One of them is, uh, since you invested in multiple, you're offering investments in multiple countries, I would love to know, maybe you can give us a few words about the rationale for investing in each 
particular country. So why you chose that country and not others, you know? So the overall uh, strategy is to like to allow investors to diversify the portfolio as much as possible. So one part of this is of uh, yes, geographical diversification, different products, different uh, loans. So what we have seen also from the stress tests of different portfolios what we have run through is that the best way actually to protect yourself and your portfolio is to diversify as mu- much as possible and to not to put your uh, 1000 euro into one loan but uh, rather than putting it to uh, at least 10 different but even better if uh, 20 different loans and then you get the uh, best uh, diversification so that uh, if something delays with one loan you are not affected so and uh, Therefore, yes, uh, having more countries is essential. So each of them perform their own way. And currently, I think it's quite equal. So what is good is like, for example, uh, what we have seen now in, in Estonia is, for example, blessed with a uh, lot of snow at the moment. So which is a little bit delayed some of the development. So we're now more of uh, maybe working on this kind of bridge uh, loans and uh, different type of products. So we are getting less of development. But at the same time, for example, in Germany, still developers are uh, starting new projects and we can still provide this kind of, or if we do something in Spain, it gives you this kind of uh, variety as well that countries are, or for example, COVID is somehow affecting. So it even for the yeah investors, I think it's really good to have different countries there. Mm. Yeah, I agree with diversification. I just, I'm sure that you have certain criteria. You know, you're not just picking countries and spreading the risk without any criteria. If you see a country where the real estate, say, is not doing well, you might not open any projects there, I guess. Yes, definitely. What we try to avoid, what we have maybe not entered to some of the countries is that what we want to be sure is that uh, first and most important uh, is that uh, collateral holds up meaning that uh, there might be some countries where still somebody can step between. Yes, you have the first rank, but then government says, now you don't have the first rank, now it belongs to me. So we are avoiding these kind of uh, countries. We want to be really on the countries where the, there's a long history of uh, doing the business. There's a good business environment. Collateral is holding up. Uh, the legal system works well. But the overall, again, real estate market itself, it's for example, just, just to mention a case of Spain, for example, the Baltics, I've had great results with my own investing in real estate. Spain over the past two, three years, it's not been good at all. Yes. But I still see new projects on Estate Guru and other platforms. So I wonder what's the rationale there? Have you seen also this decline, but still there are different opportunities maybe? Yes, like I maybe mentioned Earlier is that uh, what we are doing is we are kind of looking at the broader picture. So maybe in Spain we are still avoiding some kind of uh, deals. We are not going into too much into development loans, for example, which might be riskier. So we are looking at different, maybe already ready-made apartments in good regions. So yes, there will be these kind of uh, market differentiations. And again, as I said pre- previous as well, that also what is the uh, development level of, of uh, our market understanding. In Estonia and Tallinn, we could do really different types. We can go even maybe to land because we know the market really well. Some deals, what we will do here, we wouldn't do at the moment in, in Germany, for example, because uh, it will be too risky for us, so not even us, to the investors. So we're not even publishing. Yes, we could do that, but it's later on we'll end up in, in defaults and problems, and uh, this is not good for investors. And then 
for us. So yes, we are making these kind of differentiations between what kind of collaterals we are taking and what is a basically a risk level we are ready to go in there. Okay, so a similar question though. When you decide to open in a new country, what's the process? Do you hire somebody who's an expert within that country and then he'll give you all the information or do you do the most of the research yourself? How does it work? And what's the criteria for selecting new countries to start operating? Yeah, like I said, said earlier, then that we have the kind of expansion blueprint what we're using and uh, it's quite detailed but on a general level what we need to do is again first of all understand the market market situation as i said in general how the legal works uh, what is market potential overall the second step is then establishing the local partners uh, for uh, valuations legals uh, all that uh, this is done then adjusting the legal framework setting up the legal contracts if there is need something changes and if this is done test out the first deals and uh, then uh, together with this already with this setup uh, have the local uh, team in place and step-by-step uh, step, uh, start doing the deals. And, and for example, for bigger markets, what we additionally do is that uh, we will be having local uh, risk specialists as well, addition to the like, uh, sales-oriented people. So there will be local risk knowledge as well. We are doing this hiring at the moment in Germany, for example. So we definitely want to make sure that uh, we know the market uh, as good as possible. And Together with that, we'll be also kind of finding additional like data partners to improve our uh, kind of um, background information. I wonder if you're seeing any overall trends in real estate, maybe this year compared to previous years. Is there any trend towards a certain type of investment or certain geographical area? One interesting thing what lately we saw was that we also took some, uh, made some corrections for our credit models uh, when the first wave came in and we were more conservative. Then during the summer, we saw that, okay, it won't be a real estate crisis. It will be health and then maybe some like tourism and this leisure sector crisis more. So the developments and everything uh, continued. Uh, okay, developers also were a little bit reluctant, uh, maybe postpone, they continue to building what they're already building, but maybe postpone some of the other projects. So after the summer, they basically, what we have heard is that they full continue with their plans, basically continue producing. But what happened was, there was interesting thing that, for example, in Estonian market, there was basically everything were bought in the end of the year and beginning of uh, basically in January. So it seems that people have so much money in, in uh, Accounts waiting so that uh, they really now go and try to invest into different uh, products and uh, put the money work for, the, for them. And they, they now have kind of have more maybe belief as well that they are ready to go. And, and maybe it could be also the fact that people realize that if I don't have any uh, savings uh, put aside, then uh, what will I do if uh, another wave happens or something like this happens? So I need to have some, something put aside. So, so positive trends in this sense. Have you seen any trend, for example, here in Spain, there was a strong trend of moving outside of the city and finding residential properties, say in the suburbs or even rural areas. Have you seen that on a, in other areas? It seems to be, again, depend on uh, countries and their restrictions. For example, in countries where are really strict 
restrictions. Then, yes, people are maybe either trying to go to the more seaside by these kind of things uh, if they can't travel, or uh, we have seen that uh, people are trying maybe buying new apartments where they can have set up the office, for example. So this is a little bit shaping. So, yeah, probably it depends on, on the, what is happening with the restrictions. So where people are uh, would like to get the best uh, best working environment. And the last question I have is about investor profiles. Do you see certain countries where maybe this type of investing on platforms has really taken off and maybe other areas of Europe where it's still something that people are maybe afraid of or still more hesitant to do? Uh, currently, yeah, Germany is our biggest community, but uh, Spain, Italy are uh, growing also in quite uh, good phase. We see Netherlands is picking up quite well. Uh, traditionally, we have still, yes, uh, top three community still remains uh, Estonia as we started here. But all these countries, yes, where we are also going operational, kind of speeding up and, and interesting, yeah, some additional countries uh, where we have done deals is, is growing. So <laughs> what it seems that we had actually record month in investor-wise in January. So usually January is also a good time where <laughs> people make their... New Year's promises and then or uh, communicate with their peers and uh, realize oh, what are you doing and how are you doing and then they decide that okay let's test out so it, it might be even that 41% of our investors come through referral so it might be even that in, during the Christmas time people are talking where you are doing and what you're doing and then you try and go test out so this is the trend what you can take but in January people are more, more eager to test out and start with good habits cool very very interesting all right. Um, unless you have anything else from your end, uh, maybe what we can expect from a state guru this year or going forward in the next few months, close us. Yes, we still uh, continue to push for growth. Through that, will be more loans to put and invest. Probably, according to plan, maybe uh, we try to open one to, to two new countries. Uh, we'll be continue working on, on these portfolios, keeping them in good shape. And uh, more and more, our uh, focus also goes into this ESG topics, like uh, environmental so social governance. So we see that this is a new thing we need to pursue as a company and to be, be, be also give back to the society and the, the environment uh, as a company and then maybe adjust our products towards that as well. Could you give some examples of that? It's, it's something that have come has come up on my blog as well. Quite a few people have asked me about this topic, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly how that can translate into something that a platform like a state guru can implement. There are actually plenty of opportunities. I think in essence, we are kind of already, it's, uh, we are already feeling some of the parts. Like for me, it's like totally positive product as, as such, because at one part you have the small and medium-sized uh, entrepreneurs uh, who have the vision and want to do something, they basically take this building in a city, make it renovate, make it nice. Through that, they are offering uh, jobs to the construction workers, to different architects, a uh, lot of people, uh, and at the same time, allowing investors to come in and help them to build these kind of communities, to build these buildings. And through that, actually earn interest and move towards uh, financial independence. So from both sides, uh, who are creating value for the communities and then societies. So, uh, but there are also things we can do as a company to really make impact and positive impact by uh, promoting more of this kind of uh, uh, 
sustainable maybe buildings and uh, etc so that uh, that actually we're thinking two steps ahead as a borrowers or even investors so right. but yeah, I, I, I don't want to spoil everything uh, I think throughout the year uh, maybe we do a follow-up uh, at one yes, point we'll be here more and more about this as well yeah, and I'll even update the review of a state guru that I have on my site. I always try to keep these things updated at least like once a year to, to reflect what's new on each platform. All right. So yeah, thanks a lot for, for all the information. I hope that our listeners have learned a lot from this episode as we did, I think. And yeah, thanks a lot for joining us. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. All right, so hope you enjoyed that episode. As usual, please give us feedback. You can leave a review on iTunes. That would really be helpful for us as so for the show to, to become more well-known in the finance space in Europe. And also, you can also email us at podcast at mastermind.fm. If you have any questions, comments, or requests for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you and to know whether we're, you know, these episodes are interesting for you, what you'd like to uh, hear us interview, new platforms, new maybe methods of investment, uh, stuff like that. So just let us know. We're all ears. Podcast at mastermind.fm. And you can see also reach us on Twitter at Mastermind FM. See you on the next episode in a week's time.